Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. Those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. This time a peddler of pulp paper love, a blackmailer with muscles, a south-of-the-border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom. All had one thing in common. Each was a woman. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe. We bring you tonight's exciting story, The Ladies' Night. And the moment the sauce is boiling furiously, which is right now. Add one full cup of tomato paste gradually and stir vigorously. Okay. One full cup of tomato paste gradually... Oh, no. No, not now. I'll be a minute. Yeah, I said I'll be... Oh, oh no. Ooh. Ow. All right. So I add tomato paste cup and all. Okay. Okay, I'm coming. Who is it? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bite you... Kay Vanneman. Yes, darling. It's Don Spen Kay. Am I welcome? Me and my small Western Union Joe? Oh, sure, sure. Come on in. Come on in, honey. We'll go in the kitchen. Oh, it's not Marlowe playing chef again. What is it this time? Well, sauce a la Marino. Hmm? Mm. What's on your poor little rich girl's 14-carat mind tonight? You. It's Tuesday. Tuesday? Yes. This is meeting night in my crowd. The Greens Committee at the Country Club, the Beverly Hills Male Choir, the veterans of this and that. Mm. So, no men left. Oh, except staunch friend Marlowe, huh? Look, uh, Kay, baby, just because I... Uh... That's it, that's it. I know it by huh? heart, Phil. Just because brave private detective once saved rich Uncle Enoch's niece, Kay, baby, from lots of trouble. For which he was well paid. There's no reason why they've got to go on seeing each other. Well, mister, you're wrong. There is a reason, a big, fat one. I like you. Lots. You do? Especially on Tuesdays. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Now, I'm look... I'm not being too bold, am I? I did call, you know, three times. You weren't home all day. That didn't discourage you. Ah. If I can't have you, I'll take the doorstep. Tuesdays. Hmm. On Tuesdays. <laughs> now, uh, about this sauce a la, what you call it, what do we do first? Fish out the cup or wait for it to melt? Well, it all depends. If we want to, uh... Hey, hey that thing's sticking out of your pocket. Real telegram or prop for gag? Oh, no, no prop. Real thing. Oh? Huh? I met the boy in front of your door. Here. Open it up, will you? My hands are greasy. So I noticed. Over there, self-reliant. It's called soap and water. Oh. Mm. Well, read it, dear. Straight like, huh? Okay, straight like. Tried to reach you all day. Very important. Uh-huh. Get the tulip room. Sunset strip at eight tonight. We'll pay tulip you room. triple your fee. Time means everything. Gigi Ar- Armstead. 
You know her? Give me the towel, will you? Yeah, I think... Sure, she's the demon editor for Passman House. Who published what? Magazines, Torrid Love, Great Passions. You know, the shop girl's encyclopedia. Uh-huh. Well, now tell me, shop girl, where'd you meet editor G.G. Ormsby? At a cocktail party about a year ago. She's quite a character. Sleek to look at. And listen to him? Oh, someplace between a career woman and a marine sergeant. Credit good? Mm, excellent. Mm. Uncle Enoch once shook hands with her, and that's better than Dunn and Brad. <laughs> hey, where are you going? The Don jacket and professional demeanor. Both are going to the tulip room. Oh, Phil, can but I... you're not. Phil, that's not fair. This is too And Tuesday. the sauce a la Marino needs one measuring cup removed. <laughs> a delicate woman's touch from here on in. Bye bye, Kay. You're a staunch friend indeed. <laughs> Tulip Room was one of those extra chic spots, you know, curled up at the foot of the Hollywood Hills, where the velvet and the maitre d's tone of voice made you sure you had egg on your vest. But that plus the crew-cut glamour girls who lined the boots and shrilled darling, no matter what was said, made finding my prospective client that much easier. In severely tailored banker's gray flannel, she stood out among the neighboring naked shoulders like a wart on a cue ball, as did her voice which once it had gone through the introductions, came right to the point. Marlo, my problem is simple. I want to find a woman in a hurry. Her name is Henrietta Lawrence. She's a good hack writer who disappeared. I know not why. Health? Likewise. Now, here it is. One, two, three. A couple of weeks ago, Henrietta Lawrence showed up in my office from someplace like Seattle or Portland, I forget which, and handed me an outline for a three-installment serial story that was excellent, according to our standards. Mm. Three days ago, she brought in the first two installments, also excellent. But the day before yesterday, when the third installment was due, I was sitting in my office window when this happened. She only got as far as the front door. What happened? I don't know. She saw somebody going by slowly in a car. Scared the daylights out of her, and she hobbled for a cab. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say hobble? Yes, she limps. Uses a cane. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she piled into this cab and took off. Haven't had a word from her since. I'm worried, Marlo. She's a nervous thing, the kind who'd go to pieces, little ones, fast. So I want you... Katie Ormsby. Oh, as I live and breathe uh, this uh, micro-bed, darling, how are uh, you? Ah, busy, Jeanette, busy. <laughs> so I see. And what's the handsome gentleman's name am I supposed to get? It's Dracula, darling. We're uh, counting the white throats. Goodbye. Oh, Gigi, you're priceless. Goodbye, Jeanette. This is business strictly. Well, I was only being friendly. Excuse me, darling. Happy business. Oh, what they let loose after dark. <laughs> Anyhow, Marlo, I want you to find this girl. She may be in an awful jam. Now, what do you want to know? Well, description might help, Gigi. Okay. Henrietta's about 35 on the drab side. No makeup, no jewelry. Each time I saw her, she was wearing the same thing. A plain brown coat, a plainer brown hat, low heels. All in all, the sex appeal of a tumbleweed. Mm -hmm. Last address you had on her? It's the only one. The Brace Hotel for Women, Room 7. Mm. It's over on Fountain near La Sienica. But she hasn't checked back there in two days either. That giggling flower of the old South desk clerk I talked to on the phone today hasn't the slightest idea where she is. <laughs> but I figure for you, she might, Marlo. Probably got a face like wet hemp. Her name is Clarice. Well, we'll try it. Where can I reach you, Gigi? At my home in Brentwood. Sunnyside 91011. 1011? Yeah, I'll stay next to the phone. Mm. Really do your best, will you, Marlo? Okay, Gigi. It'll be my best, all right. Don't worry about it. I'll call you.
please. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Can I... Can I help you? Are we alone? Is the switchboard closed? What? Oh, yeah. Good. You see, I'm a private detective named Marlowe, Clarice. <gasps> a private detective? And you know my name. Oh, we find things out. <laughs> oh, how can poor little old me help you? Well, it's about Henrietta Lawrence, the girl with the cane. Mm -hmm. She's in trouble, and uh, I think it's a man. So do I. Who? Well, I don't know. You sure? Positive. She was always so quiet, so mysterious. It was enough to make a body curious. Oh. So one night I followed her. She went to Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club. Uh, that's a ladies' Turkish bath over on Santa Monica Boulevard in Doheny. Mm. Well, maybe she ducked in there because she knew you were following her. Oh, huh? no, I was very careful. Besides, she had something to say to a woman there. Uh, I know I saw him talking in the doorway when I went by. Couldn't see who it was, though. No man, huh? No. <laughs> but I keep my eyes open when she comes back. Oh, you do just that. <laughs> keep them wide open, Clarice. They're lovely eyes. Oh. <laughs> Good night, honey. My client was wrong. Clarice did not have a face like wet hemp. It was more like a batch of biscuits, but the body curious had provided a lead. As far as the corner of Santa Monica and Doheny and into the white, antiseptic-looking reception room of Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club. Women only. There I forgot about Clarice, hemp, and biscuits alike and thought instead about something a whole lot tastier. Like the girl who was leaning on the corner of a desk marked information while she made pencil marks on a chart. She looked up when I closed the door and started toward me. But when another door in the room opened and a woman who was built like a sack of cement bore down on me, she turned back to her chart. Yes, sir. Can I help you? I'm Annie Stringer. We don't have a men's section here, if that's what you wanted. No, it was something else, Miss Stringer. Annie will do. Oh. Name's my stock and trade. Something else like what? Henrietta Lawrence. I'm looking for her. Who are you, mister? What's your name? Philip Marlowe. I'm a friend of Henrietta's from Portland. They told me over at the Brace Hotel that Henrietta might be at your place. You see, someone had seen her come in here once. Oh, Henrietta Lawrence, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, name doesn't mean anything to me, but... Honey, Mrs. Wharton wants you to come be for a while. All right, Hilda, be right there. I uh, don't recall anyone by that name, Mr. Marlowe, but you might check with my receptionist there. Uh, take care of the gentleman, will you, Mona, dear? Very well, honey. I'm coming, Mrs. Gordon. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Marlowe, Mona, dear. Philip Marlowe. Marlowe. Well, I don't recall any Henrietta Lawrence ever having been with us, but... Uh, why don't we check the registration cards at my desk and be sure? I might be mistaken. All right. She's a woman about 35. She wears no makeup and... Never mind. Huh? I know her, amigo. What? Just listen. You see, Mr. Marlowe, the cards here list everyone who ever visits the club. Mm. Why do you really want him yet, Adorn? Well, I'm a private detective with an interested client. Who has money, amigo? It could be. What's your connection here? Receptionist. Oh. And good friend to Annie. Her, um... Confident, you might say. All right, say it. Meet me in the alley behind the hardware store across the street in a half hour. We close then. Well, I I'm sorry, Mr. Marlowe, but we don't seem to have any listing of a Henrietta Lawrence. But perhaps in the... No, future... never mind. Thanks just the same. Well, you're quite welcome. Don't keep me waiting, amigo. I 
killed most of the 30-minute wait at an all-night beanery a block away where I drank bad coffee and listened to a special monologue from a waitress, which was worse. And at exactly 10.30, I stepped into the street and walked to the alley behind the hardware store. Moved cautiously toward the dark shadow of the building until a hand that gripped like a bear trap snapped shut on my upper arm. While another locked my wrist high into my back. Oh, one inch, Mr. Marlowe, and I'll oh. break it off and hand it to you. I was a lady wrestler, oh. understand? Oh, do I still call you Annie? Oh, never mind the wisecracks. Oh. It's been a long day and I haven't got patience. <clears throat> now, what's your angle, Flatfoot? Slip, baby, in more ways than one. Start talking. All right, all right. Henrietta came from Seattle, not Portland. So now some advice. Forget Henrietta Lawrence, Shamus. You can't do her any good. You're a liar, Annie, and you know it. Wasting your breath, Shamus. That's bluff, Annie. Hot air. Yeah? I suppose that goes for the letter, too, I suppose. Letter? You slipped again, kid. What about it? You don't know what letter I'm talking about. But Mr. Marlowe, Henrietta Lawrence does. So tell her to call off the bloodhound, or that letter will go right to the cops. They'll know exactly what to do. Get going, please. Okay. Hold the top of your head off, Lawrence, while you can still walk. Go. All right. But I'll be around, Marlowe. So don't forget the message I gave you for Miss Lawrence. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... The kindly physician of River's End, Dr. Christian, will meet the spirit of George Washington in a most unusual way this Wednesday night when Dr. Christian tells his story on most of these same CBS stations. An elderly patient who claims to have a personal message from George Washington comes to Dr. Christian's office and presents him with one of his most perplexing cases. Dr. Christian, starring Gene Hersholt, is a regular Wednesday night feature. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Ladies' Night. Kay watched Annie Stringer lumber out of sight down the alley. And she turned, tossed me, and I told you so, smile and lit a cigarette for me. Well, I guess it's a good thing I chucked that scullery maid routine and followed you after all, wasn't it? Look, I've already said thanks, so go ahead. Get real corny. Rub it in. Marlowe pinned by a woman. <laughs> that was no woman, Phil. It was the late Gargantua's cousin. Yeah, I was also outnumbered and surrounded. By the way, where's your gun, Kay? I don't have any gun. Just what? a lot of bluff and curiosity about what you were doing out here in the alley with a creature like that. I was taking a judo lesson. By correspondence, maybe? <laughs> what was all that about a letter? Well... For my money, the way things stack up, G.G. Ormsby's top writer, one Henrietta Lawrence, is being blackmailed by Annie Stringer, and that letter is Annie's protection. Goes to the cops of anything. Take it outside, quick. What? What's that? Marlowe, not another Yeah, one. yeah, my day, Tuck. Will you go on? It's important. All right, but don't forget you're a sucker for a hammerlock, so watch it. Hey. Over here, Mona. Who's he? Here I am. Are we alone? Yeah, yeah, we're alone. Good. It is worth my life what I'm going to tell you. And we like me alive, no? Look, what is it, Moni? You know something about Henrietta Lawrence? See, more than enough. There's a certain letter. Oh, you know about that, huh? Sure. I know where it is and what it says. Bless you, baby. Where is it? I want that letter bad. It's nice. Nice? See, and I would love to give it to you for nothing, but 
But what? But my poor mother, she needs an operation. My father, the mortgage on the ranch. Your little sister wants music lessons. Uh, come on, kid, how much? How much is a life of Henrietta Lawrence worth, Phil, dear? To me, to you, to Henrietta Lawrence. Her life, huh? I'll see what I can do. You better do real good, amigo. It's a very serious thing. I take a great risk. Any stringer is stupid. She's also strong like a bull. You come to my apartment. 8310 North Ardmore. Number D. One hour. D, huh? Okay, I'll be there. Good. And please, amigo, you don't hold hard feelings against me. Not for this. You know, business is business. Pleasure is pleasure, no? <laughs> Maybe we can mix them. In an hour. What are they waiting for you, Phil? Honey, you like that? It was as touching a little scene as I've ever witnessed. Skip it, Kay. This deal is liable to get rough before it's over, and I've got a call to make. Let's go. And I was dumb enough to warn you against the ha- hammerlock. The kids do. The hammerlock that that kid holds is like a pat on the head. Can I go with you just for laughs? Yeah, yeah. We're going to call on my client. You're scramming. Come on. Marlo, Gigi, got a line on Henrietta, but you're not going to like it much. What do you mean? How does it go, Marlo? Trouble is, she's got blackmail. I don't know what the hook is, but I have word of one of the bargainers is plenty serious. Who's doing it, Phil? A female mastodon named Annie Stringers, the big wheel. I got onto it through a letter. A letter? Yeah. Annie wrote her protection letter. It's got all the dirt in it and goes to the cops if anything happens to Annie. It's a standard routine. Where is this letter? Who has it? It's a double-crossing little Spanish number named Mona. You're supposed to meet her again in an hour at her place. Phil, we must get that letter. It's no sense, Gigi. Mona's not bright, but she's sly. It's liable to be expensive. That doesn't matter. Okay. Anything I can do to help Henrietta, I want to do now more than ever. What does that mean? I've heard from her, Marlo. She called me just a few minutes ago. Where was she? That's the tough part. She was crying. Said it was the end of everything. She tried to tell me about the last installments of the story, then she was interrupted. She gasped out something that sounded like American Airlines ticket office. Then the line went dead. There are three of those offices in town. Yeah. Well, we better check them. Look, can you take the one out in Beverly Hills? I'll get the others. All right. And Marlo, uh, where does this Spanish thing live? North Ardmore, 8310, apartment D. I'll meet you there in an hour. When Gigi hung up, I sent Kay to check the airline office in Hollywood for a woman carrying a cane and a big load of trouble, telling her to call me at the downtown agency within half an hour. Then I headed south for the office on 6th Street. Halfway down, it began to rain. You know, the kind of dismal, misty drizzle that makes your clothes smell like blankets at a fire sale? I spent a fruitless half hour peeking into corners and trading descriptions, and finally, when Kay called in a negative report from the Hollywood office, it was high time to beat it out to my appointment with Mona. The rain had put enough dazzling sheen on the pavement to make the going slow and slick. But I got out to 8310 more not over a minute late. Apartment B was the last on the right and completely dark. As I walked toward it, I found myself following a set of feminine footprints rapidly filling with water. And besides, each left print was a little round hole. By the time that registered on me, I was already at the door and could hear her crying inside. I didn't wait to knock. Mona! Mona, it's me, Marlo! For Pete's sake, what happened to you? Phil! Phil, that woman was here waiting for me in the dark. She had a big club. When I came in, she grabbed me and beat me with it. Yeah, it was a cane. Not that it makes any difference now. Hey, your apartment's a rest. She got the letter, huh? See, she's got it. Look. Look at this open Later, later. 
Right now, I want to know what that letter said. You can forget about me paying the Mexican national debt for it. I want it free and fast. Come on, what's Annie got on Henrietta Lawrence? Right, right. She, she knows it. What? Somebody's outside there. Oh, it's Gigi. Come on in, Gigi. Hello, Bill. Who's this, the torquilla pounder you told me about? Just a minute, you. You get All right, hold it, hold it. Take it easy. You're a lousy housekeeper, sister. What happened? Your hat dance get out of control? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Henrietta scooped this Gigi. She was here and got the letter herself. She what? Yes. We were just talking about the letter when you came in. Now, let's get on with it, Mona. What's Big Annie's pitch? Supposing I won't tell you now. Then I'll have you in the pokey for attempted extortion before you can say Pancho Robinson, beautiful. Come on. Well, okay. That's better. Well, you and me go out there. I don't know what Henrietta Lawrence means to this, this dragon here, but she's a murderer. Are you lying, little tamale tosser? That's impossible. Henrietta's a fine girl. You know what you're saying, Mona? Sure I do. I read the letter, didn't I? Henrietta Lawrence killed a woman in Seattle four years ago. Annie saw her do it. She had names, dates, places, everything. I can't believe it. I just can't. She's such a swell person. Look... She even left this, the final installment of the story for me, in that Wilshire ticket office. What'll we do, Phil? We gotta help her. Okay. Since neither she nor Annie counted on Mona here reading the letter, the best way to help her is to try to keep her from committing another murder. What, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Come on, Gigi, get with it. The letter was worthless, except as Annie Stringer's protection. Yet Henrietta went to all the trouble of getting it. Why? So she could shut Annie up, and there's only one way to do that. Kill her. Holy mackerel, I didn't even think. You should, senora. You got nothing else to work with. Drop. Stop it. Stop it. Both of you. Better stay clear of it from here on, Gigi. Go home and wait for me. Okay, Phil. Whatever you say. Call me as soon as you can. Sure, sure. All right. Come on, Mona. Let's go. Me? Yes. Oh, no, amigo. The letter's gone and so is Mona's interest. I'm very tired. Now, listen, you. You cut yourself in on this right at the Sombrero. You know Annie, so you may be able to help me. It's that or spend the night in a cooler. Add it up, sweetheart. Underlay. Right. You're so forceful, amigo. Come on, let's go. Well, Annie's not in her apartment and she's not around the health club. What's next, Mona? Where else will she be? Search me, amigo. Thank, will you? Has she had any appointments lately that didn't fit with her regular routine? Well, she went out on Fountain Avenue in a big hurry a couple of Fountain days. Avenue? That's where Henrietta's been staying, in a hotel out there. The Brace Hotel? That's it, on the nose. Is Annie dumb enough to go there now tonight? Sure. She's stupid. And her strength makes her wreck. That's it. Let's go. Come on, Mona. It's here on the first floor. You again, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, it's me again, if Clarice. You're looking no. for that Miss Lawrence, yeah. number seven. Uh-huh. Well, you're sure in luck, Mr. Marlowe. She's in now. She came back by a half hour ago with a friend, the biggest woman I ever saw. Annie, it's true, amigo. You were right. Yeah, come on, let's get back there. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you can't go back there. You're a man, and this hotel is for now, women look, only. Look, sis, you got a pass key there, haven't you? Yeah. Come on, this entire night from start to finish has been for women only. Getting sick and tired of it, present company included. Uh, where's number seven? Phil. Phil, Mississippi, right here. here. Henrietta! Unlock it, Chloe's fast. Uh, Get back. Henry! Dead. With a knife. Yeah. 
I hadn't screamed, Therese. Get it over with. Where? Where? Where's Miss Lawrence? She no doubt left by the window here. Yeah, it's still open. Only five feet to the ground and a clear set of footprints in the wet dirt. Cane marks and all, just like... Just like what, Mr. Marlowe? I started to say like the ones I saw earlier. Sure, the last installment of the story, the letter at Mona's, the airline ticket. Now she's out of it, slick as a whistle. Clarice, call the cops. Here, give them my card. I'll get in touch. Well, where are you going, Mr. Marlowe? To break the unpleasant news as gently as possible to my client. Hey, what about me? What will I do now? Just keep looking at Annie, you beautiful, chiseling, double-crossing jerk. Maybe you'll learn something, but I'm not going to count on it. Hey. Gigi had a lot of lights on in a glossy Brentwood house. As I walked up the wet, curving flagstones to a door, I could see her inside, pacing slowly back and forth. An impatient cigarette in one hand, a stiff brace of brandy in the other. Whatever Gigi Olmsby really thought or felt about Henrietta Lawrence then, I couldn't tell. But I was sure that before I left, she was going to despise her. Phil, I've been waiting for you to phone me. I... Something bad, isn't it? I can see it in your face. We found Annie Stringer's body, Gigi. In Henrietta's hotel room. Ah, what a dirty, dirty shame. And Henrietta? Gone. But she won't get far, not this time. The circle gets smaller every time. She can't keep on killing. It's got to stop someplace. Yeah, I suppose so. But I'm sorry for her, Phil. I hope she got a plane ticket tonight and is miles away by morning. I hope she gets a break this time. She didn't buy a ticket. She's not even running. And she won't get that break. You talk as if you know where she is, do you? Mm-hmm. You've been to Seattle, haven't you, Gigi? Oh, of course, but not for years. You lived there. You were a writer before you became a publisher. Why? What is this? You knew Annie Stringer long before tonight, too, Gigi, huh? What are you driving at, Marlowe? That your real name is Henrietta Lawrence, that you killed a woman in Seattle once, changed your name, and got away, but there was a witness. And a couple of weeks ago, purely by chance, that witness, Annie Stringer, ran into you, recognized you as Henrietta... And grabbed at the chance for blackmail. Stop it, Marlowe. So you had to bring Henrietta Lawrence back to life just long enough to get rid of the witness. But first you had to get a letter she'd written and also have someone who tell a straight story to the cops. So you hired me, planted the right leads along the way. You get away from that desk. I'll try it, Gigi. You can't win, so at least lose gracefully, will you? This was in one of my books. No one would believe it. You're right, I can't win. It's all true, Phil. Where was the loophole? It started only as a hunch. But everything fit. I got it from the cane you used, Gigi, at Mona's place. The cane marks were on the left side of your tracks. But outside the hotel window, they were on the right. Anybody who really has to use a cane couldn't do that. Such a little thing. As a matter of fact, it was. Look, Mono. You're the only person between me and that break. I got more money than I know what to do with. I can bid high, really high. You wouldn't be for sale, would you? No, baby. Just for hire. Get your coat, Gigi. We're going down to headquarters. Getting the whole business down on police stationery one orderly step at a time is a process as full of, well... As full as the fiscal report of the First National Bank. Took twice as long to whip up. 
But finally it was all over. I was on my way home to my bachelor apartment. And then I remembered something. Never mind explaining what took you so long, darling. You're here now. Dinner is ready and waiting. And the martinis are ice cold. Just come on in and close the door. Yeah. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, G.B. Hunter, Constance Crowder, Lillian Bayef, Gene Bates, and Michael Ann Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard O'Rant. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a friend with millions, a myopic chemist and a long-haired piano player were thrown into a panic because a brilliant young lady with a gun was taking a big step in the wrong direction. CBS wishes to remind you that Lum and Abner's wonderful down-to-earth Cracker Barrel humor is heard every week on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. A product of PPG Industries, Theater of the Air presents Painton Place. You've been seeing Rose, haven't you, Elliot? Constance, I... Don't play games with me, Elliot. All right, it's true. I have been seeing Rose all along. Rose, how could you... Why can't you wait and see how Rose looks in the entry hall with the ivory ceiling? Don't put me through this, Elliot. It's going to be mauve in the entry hall and coral blush in the living room and ecru on the woodwork and let that be an end to it. Don't make me beg you, Constance. Slip down to the Pittsburgh paint store with me. Right now. Just the two of us. No. See the many variations of rose. Elliot! I need a putty knife and some spackle anyhow. You speak to me of spackle at a time like this? So, this is the way it ends. A closed mind to all shades of rose. Without ever seeing the hundreds of swatches at the Pittsburgh paint store. It's too late for swatches, Elliot. Then... This is goodbye? Salmon, I might consider. Salmon? Just in the entry hall. When two people are in love, salmon in the entry hall is a start. Hold me, Elliot. I'll run down to the Pittsburgh paint dealer and get the swatches. Maybe I'll have them gift wrapped. Oh, yes, yes. People said that our marriage could never work. And yet, we always knew, though things looked blue, it would work. Blue on the woodwork? I thought you wanted ecru. What dead girl? What are you talking about? The girl in your car in the wreck. 
Oh, only she wasn't there, and, and, and then she stole our car. Lady, you're all mixed up. Sure, it's so dark. Well, so long. Wait, too, so long. Wait. If you're going inside and you think the girl's in there, we're going in, too. Oh, no, you're not. Murder goes on in that house, and you're not allowed. But, but the girl's got our car in there. Nothing doing. It's dark in that house, and if you go in, you'll get killed. So long. He's gone. I never saw people move so fast. Jerry, we've got to find out what happened to our car. The only way we can do that is to get into that house. As they used to say on the episodes of Chicken Man, well... This is probably about the weirdest Mr. and Mrs. North I think I've ever heard before. It's pretty creepy for being presented uh, uh, on radio on, in December, December 9th, actually, of 1947. And the episode is entitled Clarinet in the Country. Really strange episode. And uh, I hope that Mr. and Mrs. North can solve it. And I hope they get their car back because... Cars were a premium even in 1947. Anyway, uh, before that, though, we had The Adventures of Phil Marlowe from 1950, February 21st, Ladies' Night. And then, of course, Mr. and Mrs. Norris. And after that is Michael Shane from 1948, from October 9th. And the episode isn't called... The episode is called... It is called, trust me, <laughs> the purloined corpse. I don't even know if people use the word purloined anymore, except for maybe the police. I don't know. Purloined is just a very weird word. It's purr of the kitten and loin as the root words of that with the ed on the end. Doesn't make sense. Some English language word. No wonder why foreigners are confused when they're learning our language. They're just going, what do you mean? That means something, and that means something else. You put it together, and it makes something entirely different? Come on, now. You're you're joking. (laughs) Anyway, enjoy all these shows. And I'll see you all back here real soon. God willing. Creeks don't rise. Be careful. Enjoy this show. Colgate Palmolive Pete Company, makers of Halo Shampoo to glorify your hair, and Colgate Tooth Powder to get teeth sparkling and super clean, bring you Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Joseph Curtin and Alice Cross. In all respects, Pam and Jerry North's car is an excellent car with only one defect. It always picks the long way home. That's especially the trouble tonight when Pam and Jerry are coming from a weekend in the country and the car seems to have chosen the longest, darkest, and most deserted road. Pam, I'll have to take ten minutes shut-eye, darling, before we can go on. I'm getting dangerously sleepy. Well, let's do it then, Jerry. This is no place to have a smash-up. Just lie back in the seat, dear. I... 
I can just feel myself drifting right off to sleep, can't you? Jerry. That's right. Go to sleep right while I'm talking. For all you know, I might have had something very interesting to say. I didn't, but I might have. <sighs> Jerry. What? Listen. Somebody's playing a musical instrument. Away out in the country. He's good, too. Where's it coming from? I don't see any houses. I wonder... Look, there, at the side of the road. A man playing a clarinet and coming toward us. He's seen us. Hey, come with me. Come with me huh? this way. Why, what's the matter? Just behind those trees. Come and see. What's there? A tree got in the way of my car. Oh, an accident. Anybody hurt? A girl. And a tree killed her. She's oh. dead. Please come and help me. Huh? Right away. Where's your car? Over here, behind these trees. See? Holy... You really smashed up. The girl's in the seat. Help me, will you? Jerry, you look and see. Right. Say, there's no girl in your car, alive or dead. What? Well, she was here a minute ago. Uh, are you sure? Could you kill a girl and not know it? We'd better look around for her, hadn't we? Jerry, our car's starting up. Hey, stop! Stop! That was the girl who took the car. But you said she was dead. That's right, she was dead. She isn't now. Stop! Come back! That's our car! Which way did she go? Well, that way, didn't you see... Jerry, here's a brand new man. What? Oh. Who are you? Where'd you pop from? I've been right here with you all the time. I didn't see you. Oh, but I... I guess it's so dark. Sure. That's why you didn't see him. It's so dark. Lady, you said the girl drove your car toward New York? But you were right here, too, you said. You, you must have seen the car go. Only he didn't, lady. It's so dark. Let's not argue about it. If she drove toward New York, I know exactly where she's going. Get in. Get in what? My car. It's right here. Come on. I didn't see any other car here. Of course you didn't. It's so dark. My car's been here right along. What's the matter with you anyway? Now, all of you, get in and we'll go to town. Here we are. Made it fast, didn't we? If you ask me, we made it in no time. Oh, it's too dark here. I'm going inside where it's dark. What place is this? It's a pretty gloomy-looking house. This is where the girl came. It's where we all live. So long. So long? What about our car? And the girl who was dead, but isn't. What dead girl? What are you talking about? The girl in your car in the wreck. Oh, she wasn't there, and, and then she stole our car. Lady, you're all mixed up. Sure, it's so dark. Well... So long. Me too, so long. Wait. If you're going inside and you think the girl's in there, we're going in too. Oh, no, you're not. Murder goes on in that house and you're not allowed. But the girl's got our car in there. Nothing doing. It's dark in that house and if you go in, you'll get killed. So long. He's gone. I never saw people move so fast. Jerry, we've got to find out what happened to our car. The only way we can do that is to get into that house. Jerry, it's so dark. <laughs> you sound like that clarinet player. This is the darkest cellar I've ever been in. I don't think it's a cellar, dear. It's a... 
corridor. I can touch both walls at once. Oh. Do you hear anything? No. We'll have to get upstairs. Here's the door. Can you open it? I can't find the handle. Oh, here it is. Stick right behind me, Pam. I'm so close behind you. I'm practically in front of you. Here it goes. It's heavy. It's a jam session. These many musicians getting together and playing just for themselves. Here's the man who drove us in. He's playing the trumpet. And next to him, that clarinet player. Oh. There's no air in here. And it's hot. Jerry, here's the girl. And she's singing. Yes, her mouth's open, but the orchestra's so loud I can't hear her. Can you? No. Oh. Jerry, look at the walls. They're closing in on us. The room is getting smaller and smaller. But look behind the musicians. There's no wall at all. Only black space. We've got to get out of here. Oh, no. We can't get out now. Oh, the clarinet player. But uh, how can you be talking to us here? Your, your clarinet's still playing. My clarinet plays by itself. Huh? <laughs> I told you not to come in here, didn't I? Now you're going to die. Jerry. You're going to die by the knife in my hand. Jerry, where are you? Help me. He's gone. Now listen to that trumpet. Listen to him climb. Okay, boys? One, two. When he hits high C, this knife goes right into you. Oh, no. Jerry. Jerry, where are you? Listen to the trumpet. G sharp. A. B flat. And look at this knife. And here comes high C. Jerry! <laughs> Pam. Pam, darling, what's the matter? I'm right here, sweetheart. Wake up. Wait, wake up. Oh, oh, I was asleep. Sure. Oh, darling, what a horrible dream. It must have been. You were waving your arms oh. and kicking your legs. But you're safe in the car and we can start driving home again. Oh. <laughs> you know, darling... It all started when I dreamed I heard a clarinet playing. And then I saw... Jerry, am I awake? We both are. And I hear it too. Somebody's playing a clarinet somewhere near us on the road. Yes, Pam and Jerry are awake now, but it's still pretty dreamlike to hear a clarinet in the country on a dark, dark road. Hello, everybody, hello. Hello is the shampoo that glorifies your hair, so hello, everybody, hello. Use Halo shampoo if you want naturally bright and beautiful hair. Remember, even finest soaps and soap shampoos hide the natural luster of your hair with dulling soap film. But Halo contains no soap, therefore cannot leave dulling soap film. The first time you use Halo, your hair glistens in all its natural brilliance. The natural color and luster shine through like sunshine through a clean window pane. And remember, even in hardest water, Halo makes oceans of rich, fragrant lather. Halo quickly carries away loose dandruff and grease, needs no lemon or vinegar rinse, because Halo leaves no dulling soap film, nothing to hide your hair's natural beauty. Say hello to Halo and goodbye to Dulling Soap Film. Use Halo on your children's hair, too. 
Get Halo Shampoo at any cosmetic counter. Remember, Halo glorifies your hair. So Halo, everybody, Halo. Halo Shampoo, Halo. Now, back to Mr. and Mrs. North. Jerry, we've got to see what it is. I know what it is, darling. A clarinet being played on a dark road on a dark night. The point is, why? It's coming from behind those trees. We'll see in a minute. Now it's going away, Jerry. Maybe drawing us after it like... Like the Pied Piper of Hamlin. I'm right. Look at that car against the tree. Pretty badly smashed. Someone may be hurt. Maybe it's a girl. Oh, but she isn't there now. What makes you say that? That's the way it was in my dream. Is there? Yes, there's a girl. She's there? Oh, but she's not dead, is she? She's alive, ma'am. Oh, somehow I knew she would be. You'll be you got to take me back. You've got to loop your own. Oh, who are you? We found you here in the wrecked car, miss. Are you badly hurt? No, I just hit my head, I guess. Here, let me help you out. Thanks. Where's Loopy? The man who was playing the clarinet. Uh, we heard him, but we haven't seen him. Good. You got a car? Could you take me back into the city with you? We'll be glad to. And you want to see a doctor? How'd the crash happen? Loopy tried to get me to run away with him, and when I caught on and he wouldn't turn back, I crashed the car on purpose. Loopy's the greatest hot clarinet in this world or out of it. Uh, I'm on a Tremont. I guess we ought to know who you are, but... but... I'm a hot singer. They call me the scat girl. I guess you don't get around. Uh, No. But uh, shouldn't we try to find Loopy? I don't want to find him. I want to get back to the city. Hey, wait a second. Here's another car. Teddy... Eddie, darling. Come on, baby. You okay? Eddie, I'm so glad you got here. Now you can take me back into town. You bet, honey, and I want to get my hands on Loopy. Uh, Loopy doesn't seem to be around here anymore. Excuse me, folks. This is Eddie Rayburn, a hot trumpet if there ever was one. We're Mr. and Mrs. North. Hi. And as you're in good hands, Mr. Mont, we'll be getting back to our car. Wait a minute. What? Eddie. Huh? Something's been stolen from my handbag. You know what it is? You bet. And so do you. Oh, maybe that was uh, Loopy's doing. That guy must be around here someplace. Jerry, our car's starting. Hey, wait! That's looking like Got a gun, Mr. No. Look out! How do you like that? Oh, Eddie, you know where he's going, don't you? Yeah. But how do you know I know? I wish I didn't. Won't you take us with you in your car? Okay, hop in. Okay, cats. There's your crate park just ahead. I never expected that... Jerry, we've got the car back. I hope it's all in one piece. Anyway, thanks very much for the lift, Eddie. And Mona, I hope you're okay. Hmm, I will be. So long, folks, and thanks. Oh, just a minute. I want to see that Loopy McGee and give him a piece of my mind for stealing our car. Now, look, Mrs. North, you're not going to see Loopy. I'm giving a private party. And you're not coming into that building with us or you'll get hurt. Permanently. I'll take your car and get going. So long. Nice people. We better go, Pam. It's late and there's our car. Jerry, I, I'm remembering that awful dream. and it, It's all coming true. That This strange building. This is where Eddie brought us before. Oh, darling, forget it. Dreams never come true. I know, but 
Something tells me we're not going to leave here. No, just watch us. Get in, dear. I'll get in the other side. Jerry, look at this here on the seat. Never mind, dear. Never mind. Get in. Jerry, it's a wanted circular for an escaped convict. Huh? Wanted Eddie Malden escaped six weeks ago from state penitentiary while serving three-year term for armed robbery. Dangerous. Former occupation, trumpet player. Look at the picture. That's Eddie, yeah. the man who drove us into town, the man who just took the girl into that building. And this must be the thing Mona missed from a handbag. Loopy stole it from her. And they were both scared because Loopy found out he's a fugitive. That's right, Mr. North. Oh. Now I'll take it from you. Oh, Eddie, well, we, we thought you were inside. Give me that thing. Here you are. Well, so long, Eddie. Hold it. Now that you know who I am, you think I'm going to let you run off and call the police? Not a chance. Come on inside. Oh, dear. What are you going to do with us? Keep you locked up in the cellar while I finish some unfinished business? Just a second, Pam. The door's opening. Don't make any noise, Jerry. Not if I can help it. One more push. Okay, we're out. Oh. Gosh, it's dark. Jerry, it's exactly like it. Like what? Like the way it was in my dream. I wonder where that door is. Oh, I remember now. We just turned a corner and there... Wait a minute. Oh! Don't move. Who's that? I don't know. Just a man I bumped into in the dark. Won't be dark long. There's a light right here. There. Oh, there's two of you characters. Just what do you got in mind sneaking around here? Talk fast or you'll get in trouble. Let's begin by finding out who you are. Flash Farrell, Mona Tremont's manager and future husband. And there's a private jam session going on and you haven't been invited. Now you take a course. Jam session? Then there is a jam session. Yeah. What do you want with it? We've got to get in there to prevent... Damn! A... Uh, oh, um, uh, Mr. Farrell... I want you to hear me sing. You sing, do you? Oh, haven't you heard of me? I'm Pam, uh, Choo Choo North. Choo Choo, that's my style. Okay, Choo Choo. And who's this guy? Look, Mr. Farrell. Uh, that's my husband, uh, uh, Hot Lips North. Uh, do you ever hear him play on the zither? Zither? Who can play hot on a zither? Oh, you never heard Hot Lips. Has he Hot Lips? Eh? Uh. No, he never has. It all sounds fishy to me. Okay, then. Just show us where the jam session is. Okay, choo-choo. And the first thing we'll do is to hear you sing. And you better be good. Bongo, bongo, bongo. I don't want to leave the conga, so I think I'll stay where I am. Choo-choo. Civilization. I'll stay right here. Choo-choo! Okay, Choo-choo, you're not so bad. She's okay, isn't she, boy? Oh, I'm so glad you liked it, Mr. Farrell. Oh, Jerry, the way it was before, Loopy had a knife. See if he has one now. All right, I'll be right back. Hey, North. Yeah? Who let you out, Farrell? No, no, we let ourselves out and met him in the corridor. Now, look, North. Anybody that crosses me up gets it. Including Flash Farrell. I'll kill anybody that gets between me and Mona. Farrell's in love with her, too, isn't he? Look at her, boy. Wouldn't you be? I've got a very charming wife, thank you. Say, hot lips. Hot lips. Oh, oh, 
Yes, Farrell? Sorry, we haven't got a zipper for you. Oh, that's all right, Farrell. Oh, uh, how did you think I was, uh, Hot Lips? Just great. Uh, choo-choo? Eddie, how about giving us a number? Uh, sure, Luby, but I'll have to make it the last for tonight. Okay, Eddie, but come on. Come and flash. Yeah, sure. I'll see you later, choo-choo. Jerry, it's more and more like my dream. You've got to stop Eddie from playing. Okay, I'll try. Hiya, folks. Say, I didn't know you two were here. Here. To what? To the rhythm. I didn't know you had the power. Now, look, Mona, I've got to get over to the bandstand. No, you don't. There's a gun in this handbag of mine. Make like you're just chatting so nobody gets leery. What's the matter? I saw Eddie talking to you. What'd he tell you? He said he'd kill anybody that came between you and him. That means Loopy, because he knows about Eddie. Does Farrell know about Eddie, too? No, he doesn't. What are you two going to do? We don't know. I'll tell you what to do. Nothing. Just you two keep your trap shut or you'll have bad trouble with me. We can't let him commit murder. Oh. Hey, folks, shut up, will you? Eddie's going to rip out with a little lip. All set, Eddie? Take it high. It's oh. going right out the roof. Okay? One, two. Jerry. Yes, darling? The dream, the dream. What? The trumpet was playing and Loopy started to come at me with a knife. The trumpet went higher and higher like he's doing now. Damn, you're imagining things. Nothing can happen out of these planes. A-flat. I told you, Jerry. What's the matter with him? Yeah, let me see. Jerry, is he... Yes. Eddie Malden is dead. It's a bad spot for Pam and Jerry, for they know the murderer is right in that cellar room with them. The last word on cleaning teeth is your dentist. Yes, the last word on cleaning teeth is your dentist. And over 4,000 dentists in a nationwide survey said Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine... Gets teeth sparkling and super clean. Yes, dentists say Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. So to get your teeth sparkling and super clean, to show their full natural sparkle, start today with Colgate tooth powder and this two-minute routine. One. Brush your teeth night and morning for two minutes with Colgate tooth powder. Two. Be sure to brush all three surfaces of your teeth, the biting edge, the inside, and the outside. Three. And always stroke your brush away from the gums. Remember, dentists nationwide approve Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine. Remember, too, Colgate tooth powder also freshens and sweetens your breath. The last word on cleaning teeth is your dentist. And dentists say Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. Looks like he's been poisoned. Eddie, my Eddie. Okay, which one of you did it? I've got a gun in this bag that's ready for him. Mona, wait. You'll only get yourself in trouble. Listen to what the guy says, Mona. Unless you don't care if you shoot Mona. I care, all right. I want to get the guy that did it. Mona, you're awful sure it was one of us. That's what I was thinking, Mr. Farrell. Mona, you were certainly anxious before to keep us away from Eddie. You're onto it, Pam. 
How about it, Mona? If anybody tries to hang Eddie's murder on me, they'll go right along with him. I loved him. Mona, don't point that gimmick at me. Listen to reason, Mona. I'm listening. Somebody talk. Pam, I've got an idea. No tricks now, Mr. North. What is it, Jerry? Eddie told me he was going to kill Loopy because Loopy knew he was a convict. And we all know Loopy was in love with Mona. You mean I kill him? You're off beat, mister. Not much. You killed him to get a free hand with Mona. Okay, Loopy. This looks like the last chorus for you. Jerry, wait. That doesn't make sense. Now you're in the groove, Mrs. North. Oh, but it does make sense. Good sense. Sure, Loopy killed him. He hated Eddie. Don't you move, Farrell. Don't any of you forget this gun. I'm not forgetting it. But you listen, Mona. You yourself told us that Farrell didn't know that Eddie was an escaped convict. That's right. What are you getting at, Pam? Well, Loopy didn't have to murder Eddie to get him out of the way. He knew Eddie was an escaped convict, and so all he had to do was report him to the police. But Flash... You didn't know that. And so to get Mona away from him, you thought you had to kill him. That's a lie. Farrell, you're going after Eddie. Don't shoot, Mona. Grab him, Luffy. I got him. Me too. Nice going, Mrs. North. You sure got the power. Oh, just call me Choo-Choo. Oh, Jerry, what a night. Now it's almost dawn. We'll be home in a moment, darling. And then some sleep. I should go to sleep right now. <sighs> Jerry, listen. It's that clarinet again. Where's it coming from? Am I dreaming? And so am once I again, the Early Risers Club greets you with music to put you in tune for the day. Oh, a disc jockey on the car radio. And we start as usual with our theme, a recording by Loopy McGee and his clarinet. Want to hear it, dear? I do not. Take me home and let me sleep and never dream again. night at the same time, the Colgate Palmolive Pete Company, makers of Halo Shampoo and Colgate Tooth Powder, brings you Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin. The characters are based on those originally created by Francis and Richard Lockridge. Original music is composed and conducted by Charles Paul. The program is produced and directed by John Loveton. There's a fragrance that men love, so delightful and gay. Caressing the skin you bathe with cashmere bouquet You're enchanting and trancing with a subtle perfume That whispers of romance in a candlelit room And it's thrilling to bathe each day with cashmere bouquet No other soap gives you skin This exciting bouquet Be sure you join us again next Tuesday when the North's a pigeonholed by a pigeon chased by a pair of lovebirds on the wing and caught by a murderer who has flown the coop This is Charles Stark speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, it seems like Michael Shane is 
hit deep in the ladies. And I mean, they're not helping him at all one bit. He keeps coming across all these nice women of different ages and different backgrounds, all trying to seduce him one way or another. And it's not getting him, it's not helping him solve the Purloin Court's case. So we'll see how he gets out of this. He's pretty, uh, a very, uh, very gentle man, despite what, what his toughness says about him. He's a pretty much a gentleman, so we'll see how he gets out of this. It's uh, going to be interesting for Michael Shane, that's for sure. I spun around, and it was death with a long stick that whipped me across the face. Again and again, it crashed on my head, on my eyes, across my mouth. The strength leaked out of me, and I tripped headlong into a merry-go-round of huge black horses. And then I heard the door of the tomb slowly swinging shut. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. Michael Shane, reckless, red-headed Irishman, is back again in his old haunts in New Orleans. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to another transcribed episode, which we call The Case of the Purloined Corpse. You're Mr. Shane, aren't you? The private detective? I guess you must have had that all figured out when you walked in here. Why the gun? He told me I'd need one. He told me with a man like you, it was the only way. Why, whatever gave him that idea? He said that was the only way I could persuade you to come with me. Well, he must be quite a boy. Which head was he talking out of? I don't like your humor, Mr. Shane. I didn't come here to be entertained. Sure. Sure, shall we go? You... You mean you'll come with me? Just like that? Uh-huh. Wherever you go, dollface. Only oh, I hate no. to be hurried. Don't... Yeah. Yeah, I don't like a little thing like a gun to stand between us. Now we can be cozy. You're very quick, aren't you? Yeah, the girls call me Swifty. Now let's play all over again. Where are we going? Who's he? And what does he want? Josiah DeLacy. And he wants you. Josiah? De... You mean that mummy with $50 million? Mr. DeLacy and I are not that friendly. I only take care of him, not his bank balance. Hey, you can have your gun back. Josiah was right. You'll have to persuade me. Seems to me I remember hearing Josiah DeLacy hasn't got a dollar without a blood stain on it. He's in desperate trouble, Mr. Shane. Well, take a message back to him, Dollface. Tell him I'll make my usual contribution to his home for homeless girls, and then tell him I dropped dead. You don't understand. He's a very lonely and unhappy man. He needs your help. That's why he sent me. Every morning, the population in New Orleans turns breathlessly to the obituary column, hoping to find Josiah DeLacy's name there. What makes you think I'm different? <laughs> because your reputation says you can be bought. Mr. DeLacy will double your asking price. Yeah, you convince good, Miss, uh... West. Catherine West. Katie, huh? If you want it like that. Well, maybe later, Katie. Every minute I waste now costs me double time. What's on your boss's mind? Mr. DeLacy's son, Ezekiel, has been missing since yesterday. Why doesn't Josiah go to the Bureau of Missing Persons? They work for free. Because Ezekiel is dead. Huh? Not only that, Mr. Shane. Ezekiel has been buried for a week. In a 
moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the purloined corpse. I was scraping time off my hands with a fingernail file when Katie West walked into my office. She was wearing an emerald green dress and a bright nickel revolver. On her, it looked like she'd just broken out of a sultan's dream. She told me Ezekiel DeLacy, son of Josiah DeLacy, had been kidnapped. But something silly had been added. Ezekiel had been dead for a week. And in the cab on our way to the DeLacy mansion on Royal Street, she didn't quit surprising me. Why are you looking at me like that? I got a feeling about you, Katie, and it doesn't quite gel. Where do you fit in? How'd you latch on to DeLacy? Oh, didn't I tell you? Mr. DeLacy hired me a week ago. He had an idea he needed a nurse. How old does a man have to be to stop getting ideas? Look, I'm no Florence Nightingale, Mr. Shane. I'm a common laborer just like you. I breathe better when I'm around $50 million. Yeah, I can inhale it from here. Uh, you can stop right here, driver. Here you are, son. Go buy yourself an annuity. The DeLacy mansion was one big shadow, not quite a mile wide. It could have housed an assembly line where they turned pixies into ghosts. We rode up to the solarium on one of those staircase elevators. The top floor, we faced a wall of transparent glass. Through it, I could see a dried-up, tiny little man with a head like an ivory mask. Only it was carved with so many lines and wrinkles, it could have been an ivory prune. His body was wrapped in a heavy, towel-like robe, and around his throat, there were more towels. Through the glass roof and glass walls, a false light crashed in. The whole apartment was swimming in it. The figure of Josiah DeLacy sat in the middle like a grotesque plant swaying in an undersea world. Katie pushed a button, and the heavy glass door whished open, and I went in. Shut the door! Shut the door! What do you expect me to do, seep in through the glass? Why don't you light up a furnace and live in that? I thrive on heat. It's my food and drink. Every particle of heat is like a fountain of youth to me. I soak it up. Soak it up. You're saying, aren't you? Yeah, Miss West said you needed me. I do. You disgust me, Mr. Shane. What? You might as well know that now, but I need your help. Well, let's everybody stop yelling help and tell me what this is all about. The body of my son Ezekiel was stolen from the family tomb in Cypress Grove Cemetery. You wouldn't understand what a desecration that is of our name, of our pride. And of your son. He must be returned. He must be. Well, now, don't shout, Joe. I haven't got him. Why would anyone want him anyhow? Was Ezekiel buried with a family loot? Fool. If that were so, would they send me this ransom note? Yeah, let's see it. $50,000. Bring the ransom money to the cemetery at 2.30 in the morning on... Well, it's this morning. Now, look, my advice is... No one asked for your advice. Here's $20,000. Take it to the tomb and pretend to leave. But you will watch and apprehend the criminals and bring them to me. Well, how do you know you can trust me with all this money? I don't. But if you should be so stupid as to run off with it, I assure you there's always room for one more in Cypress Grove Cemetery. I do believe you have a point there, Joe. Uh, just as a matter of curiosity, how old was your son? He was 70. And you outlived him. Maybe he didn't understand about this heat thing. Well, I'll see what I can do to bring him back. It's a matter of pride. Phew. Boy. How'd you make out? Oh, keen. Just keen. 
I wheedled $20,000 out of Joe. Cover charge for my date with a zombie at Cypress Grove Cemetery. $20,000? Oh, Mike, you'll be careful, won't you? I'll try to be, Katie. I'll try. In this business, you got other people's troubles. You can never tell whose side you're on when you get your troubles secondhand. At 1.30, I had enough of the all-night movie, so I walked over to Canal Street and hopped a streetcar marked cemeteries. I went to the back of the car, took the packet of money DeLacy'd give me, and removed a sizable portion of it. I marked the bills with a pencil and put them back in my coat pocket. Cypress Grove. Cypress Grove. I got off the car and entered the cemetery. Just to the right and back of the Chinese mausoleum, I found what I was looking for. The door to the tomb was open. I went in. The coffin stood gaping and empty and disappointed. I kneeled to put the ransom money on the marble floor, and then I heard it. The sound of a cane or a thin club whooshing through the air. I spun around. It was death with a long stick that whipped me full across the face. Again and again, it crashed on my head, on my eyes, across my mouth. The strength leaked out of me, and I tripped headlong into a merry-go-round of huge black horses. Then I heard the door of the tomb slowly swinging shut. Michael. Come on, try, Michael. Try. How'd you get here? I followed you. I frightened them away when they heard me coming. Did you see who they were? No, it was too dark. You're a doll, sir. Yeah, the ransom's gone. All right, get me out of here before you really have to bury me. She was strong, that girl. Strong enough to get me up and out of there and back to my apartment. She kissed me goodnight with a smile and then she went away. It was a million years later when the noise got inside of me and kept growing and growing until I was one big noise all over. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Some days it's very hard to tell. Very hard. You want a testimonial? I, I think homeless girls are the best because they're... Shane, this concerns murder. Murder and Ezekiel DeLacy. When I got to the Josiah DeLacy Sanctuary for Girls, I was amazed at the frivolity of the building. It was like a charming and graceful old French lady doing a discreet version of a can-can. From somewhere within the house, a music box was playing an old tune. I crossed a courtyard and entered the building. Sixty or seventy years ago, a ladylike girl had a dream of what her home would look like. This was it. Standing in the middle of the room was a distinguished-looking woman dressed in black and carrying a cane. Mr. Shane. I bow. I'm Cleo Dauphine. It's an honor, Miss Cleo. <laughs> Lovely place you have here. Well, thank you. We think so. It's so quiet. Are the guests at work or at play? guests. Oh, would you care to meet them? Oh, if it's not too much trouble. Oh, not at all. Penelope? Penelope? Yes, Cleo? Mr. Shane is here. He'd like to meet you. Oh, I do want to see that young man. Penelope, this is Michael Shane. Oh, how nice. How do you do, ma'am? Mr. Shane wanted to meet the inmates. 
of the Josiah de Lacey Sanctuary for Girls. This is my sister Penelope, Mr. Shane. Uh, we are the girls. You mean, you mean just the two of you? Just the two of us. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not disappointed, Mr. Finn. I couldn't be more delighted. Oh, you may leave now, Penelope. Must I, Cleo? Yes. Oh, you have all the fun. Please come again, Mr. Shane. It's rare that we have gentlemen calling on us. Well, that's their misfortune. Oh, Cleo, he makes me feel all flattery, as if there were a little bird beating its wings against my heart. Really, Penelope. Goodbye, Mr. Shane. Bye. Well, if I were 40 years older, I think I could feel the little bird, too. Many young gentlemen did. Um... Mr. Fane, on the phone you said something about a murder in Ezekiel de Lacey. May we talk about that? Mr. Shane, Ezekiel de Lacey is not dead. Shall I go out and come back in again? The smell of all roses does something to my hearing. No, you heard me correctly. The body that was laid to rest in the de Lacey mausoleum was not Ezekiel's. Well, then whose was it? Would you care to see? Hmm? Please follow me. You'll find this most interesting. She led me upstairs and into a darkened chapel-like room. There was a pungent odor of incense. Huge Spanish candelabra stood in the four corners and cast a ghostly, wavering light over a body that lay on a raised platform. It was the body of a man who had accepted death much against his will. He didn't have to be a detective to see the reason why. Right in the middle of his forehead was a neat little hole... Neat, like in bullet. In a moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the purloined corpse. The whole thing was just about as easy to hang on to as a handful of smoke. There was a girl in it named Katie who could light candles in your brain. There was also Josiah DeLacy, an old, old man who might have told me some big, big lies. His son, Ezekiel, had been dead for a week. I was hired to find out what made the body lively enough to disappear from Cypress Grove Cemetery. And then there was Miss Cleo Dauphine and her sister Penelope of the Josiah DeLacy Sanctuary for Homeless Girls. And scattered somewhere in between meeting all these gay people was a beating I took in Ezekiel's tomb. And finally, looking very unhappy about the whole thing, was a dead man with a bullet hole in his forehead. Mr. Shane, I insist that this is the man who was buried in Cypress Grove. And you also say he's not Ezekiel de Lacey? Precisely. Well, the way I heard it, Miss Cleo, is that Josiah buried his son and, and seems willing to part with a hunk of cash just to see that Ezekiel enjoys a cool and untroubled rest. I detest quibbling, Mr. Shane. I knew Ezekiel very well, as well as anybody did. Yeah. Well, now, now, don't surprise me too much, Miss Cleo, but tell me gently. Is Ezekiel alive? I saw him at the funeral. Well, and who do you think this body belonged to when it was breathing? I'd be very glad to tell you, Mr. Shane. The murdered man you see lying there is... <laughs> Here, Shane. Drink this. Where am I? 
Ooh. Ooh. You're at police headquarters, Sheen, and the offer of this drink lasts five seconds. After that, it gets donated back to the police department, namely me. Yeah, you're so good to me, Lefevre. You're not hurt, Shane. Just a scratch. Well, can't fool you, can we? Did you find the body? We found Cleo Dauphine. Yeah, I figured you would. Why else would you be an inspector? Only I'm talking about the murdered body. Cleo Dauphine was dead. Shot four times. No weapon in evidence. We may not be as smart as you, Shane, but we call that a murdered body. What do you call it? I'm talking about the one that was stolen from the tomb. Look, maybe you're hurt worse than I thought. The department don't expect us to know more in first aid. But my brother-in-law is a nifty psychiatrist. Oh, forget it. What about Penelope? Which Penelope? Cleo's sister, wasn't she there? What were you doing down there anyway? What possible interest could you have in the De Lacy Sanctuary for Homeless Girls? Huh? Just social work. I feel everyone should do his bit. Well, you're a real cute Irishman, aren't you, Shane? Don't you want to keep your license nice and green? Could dry up and blow away if you keep breathing hot lies on it. Now, don't crowd me, Lefebvre. I got an idea I can hand this thing to you all prettied up with a ribbon around it. But try real hard, huh? If you don't, it'll break my heart. Maybe yours, too. When I got out of there, the fog had rolled in from the gulf, gathered up some fresh water mist out of Lake Pontchartrain, then clumped down Market Street as heavy and definite as an elephant's foot. All of which made it a lovely evening for a walk. Now, maybe walking had helped me add up a few answers I'd missed. But then one answer drove up in a pretty blue convertible. Mike? Hey, Mike. Well, a bright ray of sunshine in an otherwise drab day. Get in, Mike. Sure. Honest Joe DeLacy fix you up with this hot rod? Mike, what's happened to you? You just vanished. I've been looking every place for you. Glad you were, Dial Child. I want to check a few things with you. Now, look, when you came to my office, you told me Ezekiel DeLacy had been dead for a week. You sure of that? Of course I'm sure. Ezekiel DeLacy died a day before his father hired me as a private nurse. But you don't really know if he was dead or not. I saw Ezekiel buried, Mike. I attended the funeral with his father, Josiah. Well, how many other people saw him? Mr. DeLacy and I were the only ones at the funeral. You know how much people hate that family. Well, then you never saw Ezekiel except as a corpse. Well, no, how could I? Uh, don't let it worry you, Katie. But I do worry, Mike. Oh. I do. About you, Mike. Why, Katie, you're talking about the man I love. Hey, uh, why are we stopping? <laughs> We're out of gas. Come here. What can I do? Hmm. Why, Katie, you wouldn't want me to walk home, would you? After a while, after the fog went back to where it came from, Katie drove me to my apartment. I gave her back the same kind of look she gave me, whatever kind that was. Bitter of fond and painful farewell. Walking down the hall to my room, I couldn't quite make out whether the afterimage of her perfume still stuck with me or whether one of the other tenants was going on a binge of old roses. It didn't really start worrying me until I saw a light slanting through the bottom of the door. Miss Penelope, how'd you get in here? Oh, just like they do in the movies, Mr. Shane. I told the clerk I was your sister. It seems to work every time. Oh, I'm delighted. Oh, this is so exciting. Cleo will be furious when she finds out I've been talking to you alone. Cleo, but... But I'm sure there are some things you'd like to know. Just ask me. Yeah. 
Tell me about yourself, Miss Penelope, and about your sister, Miss Cleo. Oh, there's nothing to tell about me. But Cleo now, her story is so exciting and romantic and sad, like a novel. Tell me about it. Promise you won't tell Cleo? I promise. Well, 50 years ago, Cleo was hired by Josiah de Lacey as a nurse companion. Then one day, he found her in the garden with his son, Ezekiel. Oh, there, I've said it. I blush. Yes. Josiah found her in the garden with his son, Ezekiel, alone. You see, it was Josiah and Cleo who were in love. Well, what did Josiah do? As punishment, he built the home and called it a sanctuary for homeless girls. And he forced Cleo and me to live there. Uh, Did you know Josiah? Oh, yes. I often visited him and Cleo. How long has it been since you've seen him? I haven't set eyes on him from the day he put us in the house until... Until the funeral. Until the funeral. We found a hiding place and we watched... Oh, Mr. Shane, what have you made me say? Oh, Cleo will be very angry when she finds out what I've told you. She won't find out, Miss Penelope. I'd better be leaving now, Mr. Shane. I don't want Cleo to find me alone with the gentleman in his room. But it was courtly of you to understand. And, Mr. Shane... Yes? Do be careful. I'm afraid for you, Mr. Shane. There was only one place left to go after that, so I went. Katie answered my knock and let me in. She looked swooningly at me, but I wasn't in the mood. I told her to wait for me outside in the car. As I approached the glass wall of the solarium, I could see Josiah sitting there exactly as he'd sat the first time I saw him. I took a last gasp of air, opened the door. Josiah screamed. You blundering, stupid idiot! Get out of here. I'm taking a poll, Mr. DeLacy. Where do you think your son Ezekiel is? I hired you to find out. But I failed. I failed miserably. Exactly. Now get out of here. I couldn't live with myself without knowing. <laughs> Poison is always a good way out, Shane. Or you could jump right from here. I could enjoy that. And your homeless girl, Cleo Dauphine, she's been murdered. Did you know that? Serves her right. She always liked to meddle. Yeah, and whoever killed her tried to murder me. That's twice on the same case. I'm Irish and superstitious and scared. The third time might take. Now, where is your son Ezekiel, Mr. DeLacy? What makes you think I know? That gun you just took out of your pocket helps me know. Could be the same one that killed Cleo before she could tell me whose body was in her house. It is the same gun, Shane. Who'd you get to pull the trigger for you, nurse? I told you, he gives me strength. It's quite warm in here now. Yeah, even I can feel it. I loathe your glib tongue. I loathe everything about you. Now, don't exert yourself, Pappy. Believe me, it will take no exertion to kill you. Do you want to know where Ezekiel is? I tell you. No, I'll tell you. You're Ezekiel, aren't you? You killed your old man. <laughs> and it was Cleo who sent you that ransom note. Yes, Cleo or Penelope. They were the only ones who could have possibly known that it was my father who was buried, and not I. Only you figured that out too late, after you hired me. So you shot Cleo while I was talking to her. I'll outlive all of you. Oh, one thousand wouldn't even get you one on that, Zeke. Yes. Yes, I killed Cleo... And now, I'll kill you, Shane. Now, take it easy. This won't look good on your record. Take it... In a moment, we'll be back with a thrilling climax to tonight's Michael Shane adventure. The 
bullets that pierced the glass punched two holes in the old man's body. They did another thing. They set up a vibration that collapsed the wall of the solarium. Standing outside with a very gentle smile and a very harsh revolver was Penelope Dauphine. I got her out of there fast, down to Katie's car. When I told Katie what had happened, she sat there and stared. Her vision of 50 million bucks ripped apart by all those jagged edges. Are you sure Ezekiel's dead, Mike? Yeah, I'm sure, Darth. He's quite dead. I thought that you hear. I told you it would be better if you had someone to take care of you. Oh, the hot blood of youth, Miss Penelope. I apologize. And I'm glad you found out that he was really Ezekiel. I was listening. I couldn't have told you that, Mr. Shane. I gave Cleo my word of honor. I wouldn't tell anybody that. Then maybe you wouldn't mind telling me why Ezekiel killed his father. Because he hated him. He thought Josiah would never die. Ezekiel wanted his inheritance. He was getting very impatient, I imagine, and... You know what? What? I wrote the ransom note. Oh, it was so exciting. Cleo doesn't know about that. But I didn't want the money. I only did it to hurt Ezekiel. You don't look the type, Miss Penelope. Oh, Cleo was still in love with Josiah. That's why we brought his body to our nice house and I put him in our own vault. That's why those policemen couldn't find it. Maybe we better tell them now. Yes, if you say so. And now I'd like to go home, Mr. Shane. Sure, whatever you say. But why does Miss West look so unhappy? She can get another job. Yeah, she probably will. Uh, don't take it so hard, Katie. I can't believe it. All that money just waiting to be plucked. I thought this would be the one time... Why, whatever is she talking about? Well, this nurse companion racket might pay off another time, dollface. Do I hear an offer? Uh, how about dinner at uh, Galatoire's private dining hall, huh? Uh, that is, if you lend me 20 bucks, your late boss forgot to pay me. Oh, I'd be glad to lend it to you, Mr. Shane. I guess it can be arranged. <laughs> Here you are, Mike. Thanks. Now, let's turn on the dash light for a second. Oh, Katie, you foolish girl. What's the matter? Yes, is something wrong, Mr. Shane? Never try to pass a mark, Bill, Katie, especially to the fellow who marked it. You marked it? Mm-hmm. Right before you tried to blame me in the cemetery. Uh, now you'll have to have dinner at police headquarters with no margarine sauce. Why, you dirty devil And after all crossing... the trouble I had getting reservations at Galatoire's. Uh, will you join me, Miss Penelope? Of all the low-down contemptible... Why, I'd be delighted, Mr. Shane. This is your director, Bill Russo, again. Our story is based on characters created by Brett Halliday. The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production, transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild. 